play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program... Singer Mary Lambert's Last Meal. I don't even know what chicken fried steak is. I just like it. Is it steak? (laughs) Who really knows? It might be pork. It might be a pork chop. My quest to find the origin story of chicken fried steak took me to La Mesa, Texas, which was declared the legendary home of chicken fried steak by the Texas legislature in 2011. Am I saying it wrong? Is it La Mesa or La Mesa? It's La Mesa. But is La Mesa really where chicken fried steak was invented? So I just made up the story. Uh, It took me about, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to write it. And it never occurred to me that anybody would think it was for real. Wait. So chicken fried steak is fake news? All right, so this is a really funny little story that I was not expecting that started to unfold the deeper I researched chicken fried steak. But we'll get to that later. For now, let's chat with Mary Lambert. Mary's career was launched when she sang on the Macklemore and Ryan Lewis song, Same Love. And she's since gone on to have a successful solo career. And I can't change Even if I try Her latest album, Bold, came out in May. But back in 2012, just before she went on tour with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Mary was holding down three jobs in Seattle. I worked in the industry, the food industry, for a couple years, and I was a craft bartender. I loved it, and um, and so it's it's just keeps popping up in my life of like, I love food. I love talking about food. Well, you came to the right place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But finding good food is a challenge when you're on the road touring most of the year. It's like really, it's super difficult to eat well on the road and to really, truly take care of yourself. So we rent Airbnbs along the road instead of hotels. So that way there's a capability to cook. There's like no better luxury than to cook while you're on the road and to just buy some, you know, some great Swiss chard and poach an egg and like have that for breakfast like it's my one of my favorite breakfasts obviously an emergency you go to subway right <laughs> uh did macklemore or ryan lewis ever cook anything for you that was particularly good did you guys eat together oh uh no <laughs> <laughs> on those tours what did we do there's a lot of pizza there were a lot of wings there's always a lot of fruit i mean i think macklemore and ryan were in uh sort of like you know they're also in the organic world so there's always organic fruit and um the girls the dancers they introduced me to avocados and honey and i don't i can't do it i want avocado and salt and pepper that's yeah, what i never want never had it with honey yeah but sweet. they love that they were just like that's all they would have are there secret things for your throat and your voice that you do uh sh- just shots of whiskey did you ever get to choose what was on a rider as far as like what you wanted to eat oh yeah i have i have my rider yeah Ooh, what's on <laughs> it what's on it um kombucha for two years, we always had carrots and hummus, and I never want to see hummus again <laughs> as long as I live. That, yeah. <laughs> and um, chocolate almonds. I love chocolate almonds. Mary is actually on tour right now for her new album, Bold. And you describe it as queer pop. Is that a label that you made up, or is that already a genre? That's that's my label. Well, actually, I don't know. I think I might have heard it somewhere, but 
I maybe I heard it and then I was like, that feels right. So is this record particularly gay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've only heard a couple songs. Yeah. So I didn't know if it went all the way through. I would say it's more gay than my last record. <laughs> um, and then also my mom has a track that she wrote and we sing as a duet on the EP called Love is Love, which is the human rights campaign slogan. And I don't think my mom knew that when she wrote it. I think she just wanted to write a love song. And so it's very tender and it's about her wife. And uh, and then I have a song called I'd Be Your Wife. <laughs> it's just it's just it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was so fascinated to learn. I didn't see till today that your mom came out when you were like six years old. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. How did that influence you with your coming out process or making it easier? If I, It made me feel like I would be loved unconditionally no matter what. But I didn't I didn't really know that I was gay until I was gay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think for some people, it takes like meeting that person that's like, Oh, I'm attracted to that, that I haven't, I didn't know that that kind of person existed. What's funny is that my mom was not very supportive when I came out. Really? I think it was, it wasn't like, you know, you're bad. It was more like, I'm worried for your safety because you're still young. And because you came out when you were 17. Yeah. When I was 17, she didn't want me to get hurt. I think she was just scared about the unnecessary burden and I think she thought a little bit that I was going through a phase. Oh. Yeah. And she was like, just do your phase in college. Why are you doing this right now? Just wait. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> well, did she have a hard time coming out? Did she experience discrimination? Do you think that was her reflection and worry for you? I It might have been a projection, but I, I mean, it was brutal for her. We grew up in the Pentecostal church and she was, you know, my dad was a very respected man in the Pentecostal church and divorcing him was like more blasphemous even than being gay to be able to stand on your own to say this is this is who I am I am really proud of my mom for for like she took that brunt on you know I want to talk about your lyrics because they are so unique and I do love the juxtaposition of the pop music with the heavier content Um, so like in the song secrets you know you talk about the first line is I've got bipolar disorder I'm overweight I'm always late Where did you get the courage to talk about all these super personal things? And I just want to add that I've only seen you perform once, but you were literally the most compelling, present, wow. confident person on stage I have ever seen. Holy cow. And I actually crazy. feel like I'm about to cry remembering it because it was wow. amazing just to see, you know, people connect with you and you're so joyful on stage. People just were listening to every word you were saying. Wow. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. That made me emotional, too. Um, I'm so glad you feel that way. I I think that's 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 what I hope people get. My biggest goal is to help be a, a facilitator for people's true, authentic selves and their emotions. I call my shows, they're just crying spaces. Like they're just places for people to cry, whether they're like really happy or really sad or if they're grieving or if they're healing in some way. I feel like so many of us are simultaneously breaking and mending and learning and changing. And rarely do we get an opportunity to just sit and be present with our changing. But for me, I mean, speaking out about rape or mental illness or um, body image, all, all of these things, like they feel so 
innately a part of who I am. And I'm really a firm believer of like, you can't have full complex joy without true being present in your grief and sadness. And I think that duality is really a big part of my shows and a part of my songwriting. I don't know any other way to be than radically vulnerable. I believe that vulnerability is sort of the key to empathy and empathy is what connects us. And I think true, authentic connection is what's going to save the world. And so if I can help encourage that in some way and have my music be an invitation, then I'm doing what I want to do. You know, I know that we have strayed off course from chatting about food, but as you can probably tell, Mary is just so authentic and such a bright light that I wanted to make sure that you got to hear that from her. But when we come back, we're going to dive into Mary's last meal, which happens to be the most important meal of the day. Hint, hint. Just a ferry ride away from Seattle is the Kitsap Peninsula, a land of gorgeous forests, sparkling water for kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, and adorable seaside towns with locally owned boutiques and family-owned restaurants. I have done so many day trips to the Kitsap Peninsula, wine tasting on Bainbridge Island, a girl's trip to Paul's Bow, ice cream and architecture in Port Gamble, watching the seals play from the beach in Port Orchard, and I still haven't seen it all. If you're like me and like off the beaten path places where the locals vacation, you are going to love the Kitsap Peninsula. And this month, we're talking about Bremerton and Silverdale. So Bremerton is known as a naval town, and there are museums if you're into the big ships. But the restaurant scene has been really growing over the past several years. Grab a bowl of clam chowder or homemade lumpia at Bremerton's veteran-owned Axe and Arrow. And visit a land and gardens to see meticulously trimmed bonsai and a tree that has been around since 300 BC. Plan your visit. Go to visitkitsap.com slash meal. You can also find a link in the show notes. Play and Stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Mary Lambert likes to have breakfast for dinner on her birthday. And one of her favorite meals to cook is Swiss chard topped with a poached egg for breakfast. So she stayed pretty consistent when it came down to her last meal. What would your last meal be? I love breakfast. And so I was trying to think of like a breakfast spread. And I think chicken fried steak, biscuits and gravy, and a waffle. Oh, wow. Like all of <laughs> It's so Southern. Yeah, right? Chicken fried steak, biscuits and gravy, mm-hmm. and a waffle. Yeah. And who would make this for you? Uh, whoever makes it the best. Okay. They could have a, they could have a competition. Ooh, <laughs> this like mysterious they. See, yeah. this is like famous people speak now. You're like, line up and have a competition and make me the best. <laughs> versions of these things. That's just what you do when you're famous. Yeah, totally. It's really gotten the best of you. So do you remember like the best versions of these that you've had? Have you made these items? No, Mm -hmm. no. I really should. I should know how. I don't. I don't even know what chicken fried steak is. Is I just like it. Is it steak? steak? (laughs) Who really knows? It might be pork. It might be a pork chop. It could be. Who really knows? I think just like a like a run-of-the-mill diner it would be great. The only thing I would care is the the waffle has to be nice and crispy with a good butter and <laughs> I'm kidding. Rawr! I'm like literally salivating. <laughs> and syrup? And syrup, yeah. And syrup. Chicken fried steak, for the record, is steak. 
that is fried like chicken. And this makes me think of that old episode from the Jessica Simpson show where she didn't know that chicken of the sea was tuna and she thought it was chicken. I believe that was newlyweds with her and Nick her Lachey. husband, Nick Lachey. Yeah. That was a really good show. Mostly because I feel I did watch it. I did too. Yeah. Because, you know, you have this idea of who celebrities are, and she was such a basic, (laughs) you know, and you just don't think that. Like she's going to Applebee's and she's going to, you know, Starbucks all the time. And she doesn't know what chicken of the sea is. But anyway, back to chicken fried steak. It's usually a cheaper cut of beef that is pounded out and tenderized, seasoned with salt and pepper. And then from there, it varies a little bit. Sometimes it is dipped in milk and then in beaten egg and then dredged in either flour or breadcrumbs. Sometimes it just gets the dry dredging, which is a fun phrase to say. And it's always fried, hence chicken fried steak. And it's almost always topped with gravy. Some sources say that it came to the United States from German and Austrian immigrants in the 19th century, which makes sense because it's basically Wiener Schnitzel, but we eventually claimed it as our own greasy spoon diner classic. But when I started looking around online for the history of chicken fried steak, I kept seeing articles that attached it to a place called La Mesa, Texas. La Mesa is a little town in the middle of nowhere. It's in between Lubbock and Midland, and we had about 9,000 people. It's a very small town, very small community out in West Texas. That's Terry Stahl. She's the administrative assistant for the city of La Mesa. She's also the creator of the city's Chicken Fried Steak Festival. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about the festival later. But for now, we have to talk about the fact that La Mesa is the chicken fried steak capital of our country. Was the dish invented in La Mesa? Well, that's the story, Rachel. So Terry went on to tell me that back in 1976, an Austin newspaper reporter named Larry Bissaw drove through La Mesa on his way back from a football game. And when he got home, his editor said that she needed one more story for the paper. She needed to fill some space. He asked her what kind of story, and she said she didn't care. He just had to come up with something. So Larry wrote a story about the day that chicken fried steak was invented. Well, yeah, it was invented in December of 1911 in a, in a restaurant in La Mesa, Texas. That's Larry Bissaw. He's the reporter who wrote the story back in 1976. Uh, at a place called Ethel's Home Cooking. And uh, it was called Ethel's Home Cooking by the owner, Luther McGilvery, because when people would come in, they'd ask but his wife, they'd say, where is Ethel? And he would say, home cooking. Uh, Jimmy Don Perkins was a short order cook. And like I said, Jimmy had been a former freelance drawbridge oiler who became a cook. He wasn't able to keep a job because of his... Uh, fondness for alcohol. So he was working there one day on December 11th when a man came in who was very hungry and he ordered a double order of chicken and fried steak. So the waitress, as as they were called back then, um, just simply wrote on the ticket, chicken, fried steak. She left out the comma. And Jimmy Don, because of his really lack lack of formal education, uh, just misread it as chicken fried steak. So he stood there a minute and thought, hey, how, how can I cook a steak like fried chicken so he just dipped it in batter and you know egg batter and flour and put it in the pan and fried it and served it to the man with cream gravy and some french fries on the side and the rest is history history is a bit of a misnomer here because the thing is larry made that story up every single word (laughs) is false nothing is true there was no ethel there was no comma or missing comma. There was no chicken fried steak in 1911 in La Mesa, Texas. But a few weeks after his article came out, a New York Times columnist picked up the story and this tall tale started to spread across the country. But the problem was 
No one who read the story knew that it was fake. Did your editor know that it wasn't true? Oh yeah, absolutely. Every, everybody knew. And it was and that was the thing. It was so ridiculous that nobody believed that anyone would take it seriously. I mean, if you just look at the story and just read it, I mean, who would believe that story? Uh, everyone? Everyone believed it. Why did you choose well, that town? Well, I chose the town, and, and really, it's, I, I didn't tell the people at La Mesa at the time, uh, but I, I guess I'll tell it now. I mean, what, what can they do about it? And I had been to a Texas-Texas Tech football game in Lubbock, and we were driving back to Austin uh, the next morning on Sunday, and we stopped for gas in La Mesa, and I had never been to La Mesa before, and I just looked around, and I thought, this is one of the most godforsaken places I've ever seen. It's just ugly. There was nothing about, nothing, nothing else to say about it. It's just damned ugly. So I guess a few months later is when I sat down to write the chicken fried steak story, and I was thinking, okay, now where could this have been invented? So I thought, hmm, let's have it invented in La Mesa. Like Terry mentioned, La Mesa is a small town. And somehow the fake chicken fried steak story that Larry B. Saw penned in 1976 didn't reach them until 2011. What? Yeah, they didn't know. Is that true? That's what she says. Oh my goodness. They had no idea that he had written the article or that they were known as the birthplace of chicken fried steak. Because we're about eight hours from Austin and we didn't even know the story had happened. What We had a mayor at that time, uh, Kelvin Barkowski, and he ran across the story and he said, hey, did y'all know we're famous? And nobody knew it. So they started playing on that, and they called the governor of Texas and said, hey, this was written. You know, what can we do about it? So they, of course, they had to verify that all of this had happened, and so he actually deemed that we were the legendary home of the Chicken Fried Steak. And that happened back in 2011. Once that happened, then the city started celebrating it every year. So it took, like, 35 years for someone to find the article. Yes. (laughs) Keep in mind, when I asked Terry to do this interview, I also had no idea that the story was fake. I don't know if he's still with us, but have you tried to track down Larry Bisson and ask him why he started this fake story rumor? No, we have not. Oh, so you We're guys are have... glad he started the rumor. That's so funny. So no one's even tried to see what was up with this, huh? I'm going to have to try to find him now. You're going to give me that job. I'm going to try today. Okay. All right. Well, as you've already heard, I did track down Larry Bissaw. And since the story was written in 1976, I figured that it would be pretty hard to find him. I wasn't even sure if he was still alive. So I just Googled his name and I found him right away. I'm so glad that I found you. You're like the only person left with a landline, maybe. (laughs) That's old people. We like landlines. I am curious. I I have to give you credit for uh, for sleuthing because since I have an... Uh, An unlisted number. I'm surprised you found me. Oh, I just Googled you and it came up in the online white pages. I just like I say, anybody who can check check down an unlisted number must be pretty good. Larry, the fake newsmaker and 40 something year veteran of journalism, thinks I'm good. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, when the phone started ringing and it popped the the caller ID popped up on the TV, I thought it was I thought you were a telemarketer. Well, I'm lucky you answered then. You must have been in the mood for some telemarketing. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I normally I'm not, but I, I, I often answer them just to see what they're pushing. Luckily for Larry, the town of La Mesa is absolutely thrilled that he made up this story. Since you've made this official in 2011, talk about how that's changed the town and what happens at this annual festival. We just finished our seventh year. We have 150 vendors. We have 30 hot air balloons. We do a 5K run, a chicken fried steak competition, a classic car show, a rodeo. 
And, of course, we have free entertainment for everyone. It doesn't cost anyone a penny to come to this festival. We bring in about 15,000 people each year to this festival now. What it's done for La Mesa is now we have every hotel booked here and even in Big Springs. And we have vendors that come all the way from New York City. We have pilots that even come from Australia to fly their balloons here. So it's been a great thing for the city. What do you say, Aaron? La Mesa, next April, you want to go? I love chicken fried steak, so yes, it sounds, 100%. It sounds like this festival has very little to do with chicken fried steak. Like there's a contest, but then she's like, there's a rodeo and a hot air balloon ride and <laughs> a car show. So you're lucky if you can get some chicken fried steak while you're there. I'll but find they, it. But they do do different varieties. She said there's someone who comes from New Mexico and they do a green chili version of chicken fried steak. Oh, stop. I actually haven't had chicken fried steak in years. And so as usual, this episode is giving me a hankering for the food that we just keep on talking about. That happens to me all the time. And just the green chilies. Yes. When we talk to Jesse Sandoval about his hatch green chili, I buy that and put it on everything now. The show's ruining my life. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be covered in gravy soon. But uh, before that happens, we're going to take a break. If you like listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite, just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. So I'm on the phone with all these Texans and I'm talking about chicken fried steak and they keep mentioning that it's served with gravy and mashed potatoes. So I had a big question to ask Lamisa's mayor, Josh Stevens. I have only really seen it on menus here in the Pacific Northwest for breakfast, uh, but serving with mashed potatoes, that makes it sound like it's more for dinner. What's the deal in Texas? No, yeah, dinner. It's a dinner plate. It is 100% a dinner plate. You could add eggs and have it for breakfast. I've Maybe in my next uh, Sunday breakfast treat for the kids, may have to give that a shot. <laughs> That's so interesting. So it's not on breakfast menus. No, no. Okay, cool. I'm learning here. I'm learning. So it sounds like you make it at home then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's easy to make. I mean, it's a it's a quick 15 minute meal to, to whip together. I mean, it's super easy. Growing up, it's usually one of the first meals you're taught by your either your grandparents or your parents. I remember my great grandmother. Uh, teaching me how to make chicken fried steak. Being part of West Texas and culture, uh, the children help out. We're still old school to a point, and we teach our kids early how to work and, and fend for themselves. So, But back in my day growing up, you know, it was part of it. You, you couldn't cook and clean, wash your own clothes. You you were working. Do you make a gravy also? Yes. How do you make your gravy? How do I make Well, I'd love to tell you, but it's a family secret because it is, oh. uh, it's particular, and I, I, I don't sure don't want uh, that getting out. Whoa. Well, can you share what kind of gravy? Is it the white gravy or brown gravy? I will go either way. I can do both, but uh, my white gravy is the best. This is really a big secret. Not even one ingredient. Okay. You know, Kate, 
it's gravy. When you start talking gravy amongst old women, it is a very well-kept secret. You don't uh, share information on that because especially if you're known for your food, I mean. Okay. Wow. I was not expecting this. Now I'm like, so I'm going to have to come to your town and try your gravy someday. Uh, well, you have uh, my personal invitation as mayor to come to, to Lanisa, Texas for our next chicken fried steak festival. We would Thank love you. to have you. Would you give me a key to the city that's actually made out of a chicken fried steak, like you can make it in the shape of a key? Uh, I won't give you a key. <laughs> I will award you with a, a authentic chicken fried steak pan. Oh, cool. Do you guys have an authentic pan? Yes, of course. We have the main special for the city. Yeah, for our winners, authentic Lamisa Chicken Fried Steak Festival pan. And that was Mary Lambert's last meal. Mary eats breakfast and lives in Western Massachusetts with her girlfriend, who she immediately fell in love with. I pulled up to her house, and as soon as she walked out, I was like, oh, no, the feelings that I'm having are not music-happy feelings. (laughs) I I want to kiss this person. (laughs) Her new album is called Bold. You can check out her tour dates at MaryLambertSings.com. Thanks to Lamisa's Terry Stahl and Mayor Josh Stevens and retired reporter Larry Bissaw. And what's kind of funny now is uh, I've become a vegetarian. I haven't had chicken fried steak in 20 years. <laughs> and I don't really miss it either. Theme music, as always, by Prom Queen. This episode was produced by Andrew Lanier, Aaron Mason, and me. Please subscribe. Please rate us on iTunes. It really does help the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. And that was Larry Mambert's last meal. <laughs>